0: I invite you to remain standing as you're able. Scripture comes from Genesis. We've been following Abraham through Lent. And this is the end of the Abraham saga with the death of his wife. And Abraham's death will follow soon after. He goes to look for a place to bury his wife. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people and he replied to Abraham, the hearing of all the Hittites. No, my Lord, he said, listen to me, I'll give you the field and I'll give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephraim in their hearing, Listen to me. If you will, I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephraim answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephraim's terms, and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. We'll say that this might be a good time to buy a house. The market rate, the interest rates are low. The market's been soft. It's a buyer's market. And maybe that's true. But here's one piece of advice for you this morning. When you go to negotiate that house, Don't take Abraham with you. He's a terrible negotiator. This is what we find in the story today. Abraham's wife has died, and though Abraham is wealthy, he's still a nomad. He he owns no land. He travels with great flocks and herds and tents and uh, servants. He has everything but no land, so he needs a place to bury his wife. He finds a field with a cave in it owned by the Hittites, and they say, Abraham, you're so famous, and we know you so well. Let us give you this field. And he says, No, I want to pay it from, uh, for it. And so Ephraim says, Basically, well, it's worth about 400 shekels, but what's that between friends? Naming his price. And Abraham counts it out 400 shekels, the, fur- the full price of the land. What had been offered for free, he pays for in full. Now, I just wonder what happened when he had to get home to answer to his wife. Well, I'll tell you what happened because he was buying the the cave for her because she was already dead, he didn't have to answer to her. Now, my wife had to answer to me. One night I was up here uh, when we bought our last house for a board meeting at church, went on um, about an hour, and then I stayed after and talked with people. And when I got home, I find that my wife has concluded over the phone negotiations for the price that we'll pay for the house, leaving, in my estimation, a couple thousand dollars still on the table, Imagine if you'd left the entire price still on the table. Abraham's a lousy negotiator. And so that just raises a, a question for me. What's going on here? Why is it that Abraham wants to pay for what he can have for free? Why can't he negotiate this? And my first thought is, well, Abraham is desperate to have this land. You see, Abraham is very wealthy. God has promised him heirs, and now we find out he has a child, Isaac, God has promised him abundance, and he's got flocks and herds and servants. He's got soldiers. He has fame. But God has also promised him land in the promised land, and he has none. And this would give him that for which he has waited his whole life, not just a a child, but land for that child. So he's desperate. And I don't know about you, but I find it difficult to negotiate when I really want something or people in my family want something really badly. I don't know if you've had this experience, but you go with your spouse and your children into the car dealer, and before you go through the door, you say, now don't act like you like anything. And of course, they go up to it and just say, oh, this is perfect, and put their hands on it. And there goes the negotiation. My sons are both hopefully uh, this year heading into the world of the employed. And I want to say to them, Don't tell them you don't have any other offers. You can't negotiate out of desperation. Maybe that's what's going on here. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe because the land has been promised to Abraham by God, he's not going to try to do what God wants on the cheap. He's not going to undervalue what God has promised or given. And this is interesting to me because last week we talked about Mount Moriah where the temple was built and where the Dome of the Rock now stands and where abraham had taken isaac some years about a thousand after isaac and abraham had gone up that hill david it goes up that hill and it's owned by some people in jerusalem called the jebusites and they use it for a threshing floor a threshing floor is just where you take the grain and the chaff and you throw it up in the air and what blows away is chaff and you don't want it and then the grain uh, you gather there and he thinks it's a perfect site for for a place to worship god and build an altar to god And so he talks to the guy who owns the threshing floor, and the guy says, oh, to honor your God, I'll give it to you for free. And David said, I won't take it for free. I'm not going to build something for God that costs me nothing. And that's how the land that later becomes a part of the temple is acquired, and it's acquired at a price. Now, let me tell you why I'm sharing this this morning on Easter, and that is because when I look at Abraham's life, I see a dim reflection of my own life a person who has many things i have heirs i have three of them i have a little bit of land and some possessions but there's there are times in my life when i feel like there's still something out there that would make me complete have you ever had that experience even in the high moments of your life and it's really exciting things are going well but it quiets down for a moment and you start to think is that all there is is this as good as as life will ever get for me? And you get the sense that beyond the acquisitions and beyond the triumphs and and beyond the celebrations, there's something else. And it's just outside your grasp. There's a, a famous female author who now has penned four bestsellers. After her third bestseller, an interviewer asked her this. They said, what do you wish you would have known before you started writing and got famous. And she said, that's easy. I wish someone would have told me that when I got to the top of the mountain, there would be nothing there. Have you ever felt that way? That maybe there's something just beyond our grasp that would make our experience complete. Well, what could that be? I'd like to name a strong possibility for you this morning. This is what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. God has placed eternity... In our hearts. God has placed a longing for an eternal home. A place of peace continually. And joy. And hair. And vocal cords. And and all those things. God has placed that. For us. Just currently. Out of our reach. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, I find that for most of the. All the desires I have on earth for which I have an appetite, that there's something on earth that can fulfill them some, somewhere. And so I'm lonely, and that must indicate that there are friends someplace. I'm hungry, and that must indicate the reality of food. He said, and then when I find that there are things that I can't satisfy anywhere in my life, that it must be pointing me beyond this earth to something else where those longings can be satisfied. I want to name that for you. I want to name that eternity and heaven. And that all that we gather here on earth will never be enough. It will never quite complete us because what we need is just outside of our grasp. And if it's true in our high moments, it's even more true in our low moments. Dr. Irving Yalom is a psychiatrist at Stanford and he got a control group together and, and all he did of these uh, people from disparate um, uh, parts of the Bay Area and different stations in life. He got them in a room and just threw out one question. He said, talk to me about this. What do you want more than anything else? And he said it was amazing. They talked about relationships that had long been severed about fathers that didn't care for them and now were in the grave, or mistakes they had made with loved ones who had now moved across the country and they hadn't heard from them in years. And and on and on they talked about all this that they didn't have. His conclusion when he finished this control group session was this. He said, there was so much loneliness, so much longing, so much pain. And in those moments, it points us to the fact that not only are there things beyond our reach on earth, but even things within our reach we don't seem to get. It almost seems unfair. Peter Kraft, a great theologian, put it this way, that oftentimes the difficulties on earth remind us that it will take heaven for earth to make sense. Have you ever noticed a person that suffered an unexplainable tragedy, uh, ill at a very young age, uh, Disappointment—they they didn't deserve in, in some way, and spouse walked off and left them. There's no explanation, and you begin to wonder. Surely there's a place and time when those things even out. Surely there's a place. I want to name that place and time for you that is not only better than anything you have on earth, but explains what you don't always get on earth. And that place is heaven, and that time is eternity. I want to name that for you. Helen Keller, you'll recall, was taught and instructed at great effort by Ann Sullivan because Helen Keller was blind and and deaf and dumb. It was supposed. But Sullivan began to teach her. And as she began to communicate some, then it was time for Sullivan to teach her about God. And this is what Helen Keller said when she was taught about God. She said, oh, I've already known Him. I just didn't know His name. God gets planted in our hearts. Heaven gets planted in our hearts. A longing for an eternal home of peace and joy gets planted in our hearts. And we can't always name it, but it's there. But here's the problem. I can't pay the price to get it. doesn't matter how much I accumulate. I can't get it. I just can't pay for what I need more than anything else and what will last me longer than anything else. And that's where Jesus comes into the picture. As Abraham paid a price and opened the door at Sarah's death for the promised land, so Jesus comes now and pays a price, a full price that I can't pay to open a way into God's eternal home, to God's promised land for me and for you. Now, is there room? Let me tell you something interesting about this passage of Abraham. Some of you know one of the things I've done differently uh, since I got back from Israel. is I've started looking up uh, when it's an Old Testament Hebrew Bible passage about what the ancient rabbis who lived like near Jesus' day, what did they say about this story? And this is what they said about Abraham in this cave. They said if you you note, Abraham pays 400 shekels for it, which is a lot. And they said, but if you go to Leviticus 27:16, you will find that for a family plot where a family could have a land and have some herds and, and be able to raise some uh, vines, uh, fruit of the vine, that the price for their land is, and, it, and it's called in Hebrew, but for this size of land, which is in cubit, measured in cubits, it's about 50 shekels. So what the rabbis concluded, since there wasn't a Fed at that time, they assumed that, that the rates were pretty constant from Genesis to Leviticus, they figured that the amount of land that Abraham has purchased is eight times what's in Genesis 27:16, And so they did the math, and this is fascinating. They, found, they, just, they allocated personal space for, for uh, each Jew at about 20 inches. You know, that's about as bad as the AT&T Center But here's the deal. You'll recall in the Middle East, they don't don't have a concept of personal space. They're in your space all the time. And so in cubits, it's about like this. And they did the math on this plot of land, and this is what they found. That you could stand in the land that Abraham bought from Ephron, you could stand shoulder to shoulder 600,000 men.